This is The Last Ship Podcast, Season 3, Episode 12. Thanks for joining me for the unofficial fan podcast for the TNT drama, The Last Ship. I'm Mel Holtz, and this is the podcast on which I discuss, analyze, and critique the show that won't hesitate to blow up ships and planes, but trains get saved at the last second. As always, I'll begin with my general impression of the episode, followed by detailed analysis of Season 3, Episode 12, titled Resistance. I'll name the well-said moment of this week's episode, and I'll wrap up with the naval feature, Ship of the Week. So let's dive in. My general impression of this episode, I expected this episode, as the penultimate did in seasons one and two, to resolve most of the conflict so that the finale could launch the new conflict for next season. However, we had no such luck. This episode was full of great action, including the destruction of another ship and a great rolling hand-to-hand combat sequence, and really resolved nothing except the reunion of the crew. All the other resolution has been left to the finale for next week, and frankly, I'm fine with that. The episode opens with Castillo on the radio from Los Angeles, while Tex is driving Kara, Kathleen, and President Oliver through the desert. Castillo states that in two weeks since the government restructure, the shortages in the region are over. Kara wakes up and asks Tex where they are, and he says Vegas, five hours from San Diego. Kathleen pulls out a can of food and says, we're down to our last can. Kara says we can stock up in Vegas. She says we need to get to San Diego and meet up with the James to join them in the resistance. On the bridge of the Nathan James, Slattery reads their orders to meet up with the tugs in San Diego and report to General Bradley of the California United Forces to turn over the prisoner Thomas W. Chandler. Cobb questions what the California United Forces means, and Slattery says it means the past two weeks they have dismantled the military. Malin says that doesn't seem possible. Sasha says this is the textbook way to take down a government from the inside. Chandler says when we get in range, we scan for microwave emissions, and that will be their center of gravity. Cobb queries about the center of gravity, and Sasha responds with an explanation about Karl von Clausewitz, a Prussian military general in the early 1800s that developed the center of gravity theory. This is an interesting military tidbit that they threw in here, but I doubt that someone that has reached the rank of lieutenant commander in the Navy, like Cobb has, would be unaware of that theory. Chandler says we destroy it and make Castillo show his face. Malin says invading a country with a single ship is impossible, and Chandler says nothing is impossible if you have the will, the courage, and a good plan. In the White House, Castillo is making a play for Beatty's region, telling the other regional leaders that the resources are drying up and that he has the infrastructure and the access. Price tells him to take that region and see how he likes it when she stops sending him oil and gas. Shaw cuts them off and tells them that Castillo will mine the resources, Price will provide the oil, and Castillo will share the spoils evenly among the partners. Note here how Shaw referred to them as partners, not with a government title, indicating that what they've got going on here is some type of business arrangement between these five. 
The five head out to the outer office where Colonel Witt has a briefcase containing electronic equipment. Shaw asks what's the word on San Diego and gets word that the Nathan James has been picked up on radar and is headed back on schedule. Price asks if everything is ready to receive it and Shaw says Witt has a fireworks show in mind. Shaw tells Witt to arm it. He switches it on and says he needs a thumbprint from the two of them. Shaw steps up, and as Castillo steps up, Croft blows past him and says he wants in on killing Chandler. Here Shaw refers to this having come from Michener, so why would Shaw's thumbprint be part of the programming on this device? She was the chief of staff under Michener and would have had no formal position in the chain of command, so it doesn't make sense that she would be one of the people that could activate this thing. In addition, it doesn't appear that those missiles that ended up hitting the ship were nukes. So why would they need two-person control of some simple missiles? That's a little odd. And why would that control have to come from the highest level of leadership in the government? In addition, who does Colonel Witt work for? Does Shaw have control of some part of the military? And if so, why would she have that? As you can tell, this scene just didn't sit right with me. Um, Plus, Much of the dialogue here seemed just a bit odd. Tex, Kara, Kathleen, and Oliver arrive in Las Vegas to find it totally dark. They question why the power is out, and Tex says, let's stock up on supplies. They stop at a convenience store and all get out to go get food. Suddenly, at least four men pop out aiming weapons on the group and demand all of their food. Tex says they are out, and as the men move to search them, a shot is fired in the air. Tex, Kara, and Kathleen pull their weapons. Another man holding a rifle says, I warned you to stay away from here. Tex tells the men to go, and they run off. Tex thanks the man with the rifle, and he invites them inside. He tells them his name is Bob, and that the food shipment stopped coming, followed by soldiers coming to take all the remaining food that was there. He tells them he hasn't eaten in three days, and he has no vehicle. Tex offers him a ride, but he says, this is home and I'm staying. Kathleen gives Bob their last can of food and Bob tells Oliver he does recognize him and that people on TV are saying nasty things about him. Oliver says, I hope you don't believe everything you hear and shakes Bob's hand. Aside from the Bob character, which is a great ad, there are two excellent moments in this scene. First, how cool was Dark Vegas? You never see that anywhere. That was really a, a good bit there in that scene and then second that look that Tex gave Kathleen after she gave Bob the can of food just a great dad moment there the SUV arrives at the shore and sees a destroyer off coast Kara says they made it on the bridge Chandler orders the crew to bring her in as Danny loads a weapon CIC reports vampire two missiles incoming and the missiles impact and destroy the ship Kara screams no and runs into the water. Tex runs and grabs a sobbing Kara and drags her back to shore. I think most viewers probably realized this was the Hanan, not the James. Even if you didn't, you probably assumed they weren't all dead or how could there possibly be a season four. Oliver says those missiles came out of nowhere and Tex says they were circling at high altitude. Kara says, we're all that's left now, and we need to kill everyone responsible for this. Oliver sees Humvees approaching with large binoculars, an observation team to report on the sinking of the James. 
they follow them back in the SUV. In the Nathan James CIC, Hinan is confirmed gone. Malin tells Chandler they wanted you dead so bad they tried to kill us all. Chandler tells them we need to stay 40 miles off the coast and we'll stay dead. In the White House, Price tells Shaw so you finally killed him. Shaw tells Price she wants St. Louis and Price tells her that's Wilson's territory. Shaw says he will only go for it if Price backs her up. Price says if you make sure my shipment arrives from California in good shape, I'll talk to Wilson. Shaw sure doesn't have very high aspirations here. The regional leaders each have multiple states, and Shaw just wants one city. I'm not sure what her play in this is, but that's interesting. The Humvees arrive at their base, with the SUV closely following. Tex, Kara, Kathleen, and Oliver get out of the SUV and take up positions. They surmise this is a warehouse storing all of the food used to pay for laborers. They decide to steal it back, then comment that there are Army, Navy, Marines, and even some Coast Guard against the four of them. Tex, with a great line, says, We're not even the dirty half-dozen, but we've got heart and we've got smarts. Tex and Kara move up, while Oliver and Kathleen stay behind to observe activity. As Kara is hidden behind a wall, a man grabs her across the mouth. She begins to struggle and scream when the man says, It's me, and she turns to see Danny. They embrace. Tex swings his weapon around a corner and comes upon Vulture Team. Chandler says, why am I not surprised to see you? Chandler then gives each member of the team an assignment, and they start to work to take down the warehouse. These reunions here are what we've been waiting for all season, and they did not disappoint. Great moments there. At the warehouse, Jeter reports the comms hub is up, and Sasha cuts through a chain-link fence. Slattery observes the arrival of a four-star general. Kathleen instructs Oliver on the use of a handgun, while Chandler and Tex discuss Dr. Scott's death. Slattery arrives back and tells Chandler he found General Bradley, and Sasha arrives to report that she found railroad tracks and that the food is being shipped. Chandler says on the next shipment, we hit the train in the middle of nowhere and steal the food. On the train tracks, Wolf and Tex are setting charges as Sasha is set up in a sniper position. Kara reports to the James that Bradley is broadcasting. Diaz is attempting to understand Bradley's transmission, which is, Don't worry, the cargo won't be, and the last word is unintelligible. Granderson works it, and they realize that the last word is hungry. Granderson grabs the radio, says we need to break MCON, then broadcasts to Vulture Team that the cargo on the train is not food, it's people. Vulture Team jumps in their truck and takes off chasing the train. Slattery pulls the truck up next to the train, and Chandler, Tex, Wolf, and Green jump onto the train. As they move to the engine, a soldier fires on them, and Wolf and Green take positions and return fire. Another soldier comes upon Wolf, and as he's ready to fire, Sasha takes him out with a long-distance kill shot. This shot from Sasha was ridiculously good, from a distance and with the target moving at a significant speed. Tex gets to the engine and begins to fight the man operating the train while Chandler and Bradley go at it on the catwalk. Tex's head gets put through a window, then Chandler enters and throws the brake lever, stopping the train just before it hits the trigger for the explosives. This entire sequence on the train was outstanding. The hand-to-hand combat that we know and love from this show in the fresh new setting of a moving train. Just way too fun. 
Vulture Team has the soldiers manning the train lined up, and Chandler and Slattery open the door on one of the cars. The car is filled with people. Chandler tells them they can come out. They are free. The people ask, what do you mean? And Chandler says, you don't have to do what these people tell you. A man says, you mean we won't get fed? Chandler drags Bradley to the side and tells him to order his people to stand down. Bradley refuses, and Chandler rips the patches off Bradley's uniform and tells him, you swore an oath. Bradley says what I swore an oath to was torn up two weeks ago. He continues that his commanding officer fought back, and they cut his throat. He says, if I follow, I live, and my kids live. Why was the man that was asking about food wearing a suit? Are there still office jobs in a world where there's no food? That seems a bit odd. In the White House, Shaw is on video conference with Castillo and Price asking where the train is. Castillo says he does not know, and Price says, I have power plants that are down because no one is there to run them. Shaw tells Castillo to find the train or lose Beatty's territory. She then tells Witt to contact San Diego to get divers in the water and confirm the ship they sank was indeed the Nathan James. This scene here reinforces just how despicable these regional leaders and Shaw really are. They are now in a dead heat in the evil contest with Amy Granderson. At the train, Castillo calls, and Chandler hands the phone to Bradley and says, let's take him down together. Bradley answers and tells Castillo he needs to meet them at the depot. He hangs up and tells Chandler, you need to kill this guy or he's going to kill all of us. Castillo arrives and walks up to Bradley. Bradley remains silent to Castillo's questions, and Castillo tells his men to shoot Bradley. Vulture team moves out from behind vehicles, and Chandler tells Castillo, Bradley doesn't work for you anymore. Castillo then tells his men to shoot Chandler, and Sasha fires two shots at Castillo's feet. Slattery tells them to put their weapons down, and they comply. Chandler tells Burke to arrest Castillo, who does by cinching the cuffs just a little bit too tight. Bradley turns to Chandler and says, I guess I report to you now, and Chandler says, no, you report to him, and he points to Oliver. Chandler calls out, Commander-in-Chief, salutes, and Bradley then salutes, followed by all of Bradley's troops. Oliver says, we'll have to give them the oath, as they are rejoining the service of the United States. I'm sure it's the former soldier in me, but I completely loved that scene. On the James, Oliver enters the mess hall, followed by Kara, Tex, and Kathleen. The crew members immediately go to hug them. This is the rest of the long-awaited reunion that we've been looking for, and set as a mini-musical montage, it was a great moment. In the Hilo Bay, Castillo is tied to a chair as Chandler and Kara enter. Castillo tells Chandler he will never cooperate. Chandler says, you had the chance to kill me and blew it. You will cooperate because your partners will cut you out and your people will turn on you. In the White House, Shaw is viewing photos of the Henan at the bottom of the ocean as Witt tells her it must have been operated remotely. Why would they paint the words Nathan James on the side of the Henan yet not paint over the Chinese characters that were behind the words Nathan James? Witt says they need to warn Castillo, and Shaw says by now Chandler already has him. Shaw says she needs to think, and then she gets an idea. For this week's well-said moment, 
As Chandler and Tex are chatting and loading their weapons in prep for the mission, Chandler says, You left town pretty quick. Tex replies, After the dock? Yeah. Chandler says, I have a feeling you blame me for Rachel. Tex answers, I blame the both of us. I forgave you. Ship of the Week USS Indianapolis, hull number CA-35, a Portland-class heavy cruiser, was laid down on March 31, 1930, was launched on November 7, 1931, and was commissioned on November 15, 1932. She was 610 feet long and was outfitted with 9, 8-inch, and 12 minutes later, she sank. About 300 crewmen went down with the ship, with the remaining 900 left in the sea with minimal lifeboats. Almost four days passed before the wreck was known, and by then, only 317 members of the crew could be saved. In 2001 and 2005, expeditions attempted to locate the wreckage of Indianapolis, but nothing confirmed to be part of the ship has been located. National Geographic has plans to again search for the wreck next summer. And that will do it for this week. For all things related to the podcast, including subscription links and previous episodes, visit the show notes at thelastshippodcast.com slash s3e12. Our feedback question this week is, will this storyline actually end this season? We are down to one hour remaining. There's so much yet to resolve, not to mention setting us up for next season. So are they actually going to get this all wrapped up? Leave us your answer to that in the comments in the show notes. To see episode 12 again, visit TNTdrama.com, find it on your cable system's on-demand feature, or download the Watch TNT app. And join me here again next week as I wrap up an outstanding third season. Until then, thanks for listening.